Good morning. It's Wimala, and today is Tuesday, March 29th. How quickly this month has gone by. Um, I'm here in Crystal Lake, Illinois. We have sun. All of a sudden, there was no sun 10 minutes ago. And I went out to feed squirrels and chipmunks and birds, and it was dreary. And now we have sun, and we have lots of clouds in the sky. So it changes. Everything changes. Everything is always rising and falling away. So, you know, the joke everybody thinks it comes from there. Uh, community, their area, that if you don't like the weather now, wait a few minutes and it will change. We can say that about life, right? That's that's what happens. Everything changes. Everything's shifting. Everything is, and that's one of the reasons we want to be able to let let things go so we don't take them in and begin this whole process of uh taking them on and attaching to them. So we learn to let go. And the weather is a perfect teacher. Um, We are getting close to the end of this book. Amazing. Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. And it is the Buddha's teaching on voidness. And this is chapter 12, Practicing at Ordinary Times. And the the ordinary times, I think this is a wonderful title for a chapter or even a book. Ordinary times. So we don't, we're, we're practicing, we need to be practicing according to the way the Buddha taught. We pra- we're practicing all the time. We are having this direct experience as much as we possibly can with the world and then learning from that, and paying attention to that, and remembering that. So uh, I like the title of this chapter. Oh, sorry, that may have been loud to you. I have a... <laughs> I'm using my mother's... My mom had a watch that spoke to her. It's a really big uh, watch. And she wore it all the time. It was really a, an important companion for her. And uh, it tells the time and the date. And I think it's got the year right, but it's it's also on Eastern time. But um, now that she's gone, I have, I've kept this watch and I use it as my timer. So so I can. So that may have been a loud noise in your ears. It kind of slipped off of its little hook. So, we'll read and then we'll sit together. Practicing at ordinary times. It's important to understand various methods of practice, but these methods also must be explained together with the opportunities and occasion for practice. We will consider three occasions or times for practice. The ordinary times... The second one is the ordinary times, the moments of sense contact through the six sense doors. So that's the second, the moments of sense contact through the six sense doors. And the third one, the moment of physical death when the mind goes out. 
How should we practice on the first occasion at times when there is no particular association with sense objects? These ordinary times occur when we are doing some kind of work alone and unconcerned. Perhaps we are performing our daily task, practicing some kind of formal meditation, reading a book in our spare time, or even thinking about something. Yet the mind is undisturbed by sense contact. At such times, our practice must be the study and realization of how things are void. When there is no problem, when there are no problems due to sense contact, how is the mind void? How is it not diluted by everything? Think about it, study it for yourself, ask others about it, and discuss it regularly. Keep working on it continuously. So that's the first, the ordinary times. Not worth having. There is another way to practice that is particularly suited to lay people, people who have never been ordained or have never studied the scriptures. It's straightforward enough even for those who cannot read at all. However, its aim is the same as that of other methods, to know the sunyata, the voidness, the emptiness, and we, we say, we often say, no self, to know the sunyata of all things. The method is to observe whether there is anything worth having or being. Ordinary people, ought to live examining whether anything is worth having, getting or being. Having and getting refers to getting silver and gold, gaining wealth, gaining possessions, getting prestige, and getting power. What is worth having or worth giving? Getting. What is <laughs> everything's worth giving, right? What is worth having or worth getting. Being a human being, being an animal, being a millionaire, being a beggar, being a king, being a citizen, being a celestial being. What sort of being is worth being? First, we must understand the words to have, to get, and to be correctly. These words directly refer to grasping and clinging. There must be grasping at something if if we are to take it as ours. In order to fulfill the meaning of the words having and getting, for instance, suppose we pile up diamonds and jewels so they fill a room, but there is no clinging to them, no feeling of I got or I am the owner. It would be the same as if there were no having or getting, The pile of precious stones would sit there without any meaning. But if the feeling of grasping at I occurs, the feeling that I have got them or I have made them mine, then this would constitute having or getting. Please understand these words in this way. I'll ask again, what is there worth having? What is there worth gaining? What is there to have that won't cause its owner suffering? Every single existing thing will burn up its owner, will pierce, strangle, and entangle him. 
or her will dominate and oppress them should they start to have or to be. But should the precious stones be piled up while he has no feeling of having or being, then there would be no burning, entangling, or strangling of any kind. This is called not having and not being. So what is there that won't be dukkha or suffering once it is become or gotten? Once there is a feeling of having or being, we don't have to be in the room with these jewels. We can be in the forest or in another country on the other side of the world, and the mind will still experience dukkha. Try having children grow up and live in a foreign country. You'll see that if you still cling to I and mine, they will be able to give you sleepless nights or even a nervous breakdown in spite of the fact that they're far away. That's the exact meaning of having and being. Doerless doing. Next section. Please make it a habit to regularly contemplate, contemplate what is worth having and what is worth being. Being ours, right? What is there which once possessed or become will not cause dukkha, will not cause suffering. When we discover the truth that there is absolutely nothing worthy of the feeling of having and being, we become even-minded toward all things. And that even-mindedness is equanimous, right? Equanimity. Whatever action we perform, be it arranging, having, collecting, using, or whatever, we just do what needs to be done. So don't let the mind have or become. Don't feel the sense of I get, I am, I have. Keep in mind the Dhamma principle of doerless doing. The doing is done, but no doer can be found. The path has been walked to its end but no walker is there. This verse refers to the Arahant, the one who has practiced Dhamma, who has walked the noble path to its very end and reached Nibbana with no walker or practitioner to be found. The principle, so this is important, the principle of doerless doing must be taken up and utilized in our daily lives, whether we're eating, sitting, lying down, standing, walking, consuming, using, seeking, or whatever, we must have enough satipanna, and that's mindfulness, to prevent the feelings of I am, or the doer, the eater, the walker, the sitter, the sleeper, the user, this keeps the mind constantly void of ego so that sunyata is the natural state and we live with the awareness that there is nothing worth having or being. Sunyata is that there's uh, no self, no ego. It's more than ego, but that sometimes is when we talk about no self. It's no permanent identity. Dhamma can be practiced in conjunction with our daily task 
and the movements they entail, and this is an extremely high level of Dhamma practice. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Dhamma can be practiced in conjunction with our daily task and the movements they entail. This is an extremely high level of Dhamma practice. There is no need to separate Dhamma, and that, that's truth, and the wisdom teaching, teachings that we, that we uh, accept and have penetrated and integrated into our lives. There is no need to separate Dhamma from everyday life. Just have this mindfulness and ready wisdom, satisampajana, of doerless doing. Not only will the work be successful and free from error, but at the same time, the Dhamma will develop and grow exceedingly. Doerless doing is to live naturally and ordinarily in not having and not gaining. Next section. That was really good, wasn't it? Not worth being. Not worth being. Being is even easier. Consider what one might be that wouldn't be dukkha, that wouldn't be suffering. This can be a formula for reflection. It is an essential point. What is there to be which won't be dukkha? The word being, just as with the word having and gaining, refers only to the being that is accompanied by upadama. That's the being that includes that grasping and cleaning. Clinging, not cleaning. <laughs> it includes the grasping and the clinging. So, two, I am. For example, if a room is piled full of gold, but we don't feel we're the owner, there is no gaining or having or no being. Although legal ownership rights and worldly social conventions have a certain validity, in our true hearts we shouldn't be misled into taking those relative truths as absolute. I think that's a beautiful way to uh, look at this and makes it seem, it, it helps for clarity, I think. Although legal ownership rights and worldly social conventions have a certain validity, in our true hearts we shouldn't be misled into taking these relative truths as absolute. Remember that. For instance, when a person gives birth to a child, it is natural that the one who gives birth is the mother, and the one born is the child. However, if one doesn't attach to being a mother, one won't be a mother. Because one delusively presumes oneself to be a mother, one becomes one. We should regard this as an animal instinct. Animals feel like mother chickens, mother dogs, or mother cows. They feel themselves to be mothers and naturally love their young. They needn't create, force, or nurture such feelings. These are instincts natural to animals. To reach the level of mindfulness and wisdom, one must do better than that. I really love that sentence. To reach the level of mindfulness and wisdom, one must do better than that. One must know how to destroy the grasping and clinging that arises from such ignorance. 
Now some people will think how cruel and heartless not to let us feel ourselves to be mothers. Won't you let us love our children? Please listen carefully. That isn't the meaning at all. It's possible to be a mother and perform a mother's duty, duties with satipanya. It's not necessary to act with desire and attachment. And that's that craving and then clinging, which bring on every kind of dukkha. I'll read that again. This is it's possible, this is very important, and, and the understanding, he's very clear about it. Won't you let us love our children? Please listen carefully. That isn't the meaning at all. It's possible to be a mother and perform a mother's duties with satipanya. It's not necessary to act with desire and attachment, which bring on every kind of dukkha. With dukkha, tears will flow, the heart will be dry and anxious, and there won't be any joy. That suffering is indeed the price of not knowing how to be a mother, of being a mother in a way that does not conform with Dhamma. Such is the dukkha of mothers. When one is a mother, one must have the dukkha of a mother. When one is a child, one must have the dukkha of a child. When one is a father, one must have the dukkha of a father. Try asking yourself, is being their mother a pleasure? Is being their father any fun? Those of you old enough to have had a full experience of parenthood, think over what it's like. How will you answer? Even if you don't say anything outright, probably every one of you will shake your heads. Is being a mother any fun? Is being a father a pleasure? This is something that you should study regularly and naturally. Be conscious of it at the times when the mind is not occupied with sense contact. Is it a pleasure being a husband? Is it fun being a wife? Think it over for yourselves. Those who have fully experienced what it is to be husbands and wives will all shake their heads. Is it enjoyable being female? Is it a pleasure being male? If your mindfulness and wisdom is developing step by step and becoming increasingly refined, you will all shake your heads. To be female is to have the dukkha of a female. To be male is to have the dukkha of a male. And dukkha, again, is that, that stress, that suffering, that discomfort, that dis-ease. Is it enjoyable being a child? Is it fun being an adult? Young children will probably say, yes, it's fun. We who are now adults, who are now old enough, should look back and ask ourselves, was it really a pleasure? Children have the dukkha of children and adults have the dukkha of adults. As long as there is grasping and clinging. So he, speak, he's, he wants to be very clear about that. It's the grasping and clinging to those titles, to that, to that identity. To be anything that has an opposite or to be nothing at all, which is better? To be an ordinary person, to be a denizen of hell. Are they worth it? 
If is being a human worth it? Is being an animal worth it? Is it worth being this person who you are? Or is it worth being a celestial being in heaven? These questions provide measures of a person's mindfulness and wisdom of whether or not one sees grasping and clinging fully and rightly. Those who have thoroughly seen the painful consequences of grasping and clinging will shake their heads in the same way, because being a person, one must have the dukkha of a person, and being a dewa, or a heavenly being, one must have the dukkha of a dewa. If we are void, not taking ourselves or to be anything at all, so so if we are void, not having ourselves to be anything at all, then we are neither a person nor a dewa, and the respective suffering of each is absent. If one is a human being or a dewa following the urgings of grasping and clinging, is it a pleasure? Those who have realized the truth will all shake their heads. There's more. So, uh, Wednesday, we continue with this chapter. I hope, I hope you, I hope this isn't creating a lot of, uh, uh, what is he, what is she talking about? What is Buddha Tassa talking about? Remember any of these things that we cling to as an identity. That's when the suffering is created. If we can keep that openness, that spaciousness, that voidness, and not have to identify with these things, we can allow, we can allow it to come and go on its own, to rise up and fade away. And we know that even in a day, if you're a working parent, your identity has to go from being a parent to being uh, someone working and being total. If you try, you know, when you try to, you try to kind of disconnect from that uh, mother or father identity for the time you're at work to be fully involved. And we know when things are going wrong at home or going wrong at work, we carry those identities. Uh, with us sometimes, and it creates stress. Well, that's dukkha. So if we aren't able to flow from one role to another, depending on the time of life, if we don't think it's going to become permanent and like that room full of gold. So the next section, which I'm tempted to read, but we I want to sit, is called Fooled Again. And it's just the next, it's in the same chapter. So if this isn't clear to you, uh, hang on and at least listen to the end of the chapter because I think this is a beautiful way to teach this. This is all, it's all very practical. It's not just, it's not just a theology that we don't have to really uh, connect with. So it's, it's not just a philosophy of something that we read about and think, oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's this is something that I think all human beings can relate to. This is and this is how we can change our lives. We don't have to be Buddhist. We don't have to be, uh, you know, we don't have to uh, cling to a name or to the the faith. I mean, the Buddha was not a Buddhist, right? He 
he was trying to show people just a certain, that handful of things that he knew he could have time in his lifetime to try to explain and teach based on what he had been able to glimpse that we we have not yet. Let me take another sip of coffee. I take one sip because my throat is scratchy, then I take another sip and start coughing. Before we sit for a few minutes, I wanted to share something I heard on the radio this morning. It was a woman, a Ukraine woman. Her husband is still in the Ukraine, but she and her ch several children, one being a, a very small baby, were able to leave and find uh, find refuge at, uh, I'm sure it was an Orthodox Christian monastery up in the mountains. And she said, you know, what a safe place it was, and she and her children had a little small house to be in. But she said being there also, they've helped out and helped, in the, helped with some... Uh, chores in the kitchen and they do things to help the monks and she's been able to go into the monastery and pray every day and she said she has seen a spiritual change in herself and she she said she finally was able to actually actually uh, have prayers to uh, ask that Putin to ask for uh, prayers for Putin and, the, and, and what he's doing to her country. And she was actually able to pray that he would be, he would be filled with wisdom and he would be, he would be filled with compassion and, and realize, realize what he was doing to the people in her country. And she, and she had realized that because she was in that close contact and able to pray. And it was so beautiful because I thought that's what all religions at their essence are teaching us is loving kindness or loving friendliness. And she, and she was talking about making that leap because she, she was in a safe place and she was in the presence of, of noble friends and people who felt safe, the monks felt safe, and they could continue their their daily prayers and how much that had helped her. It had given her peace. In addition to being concerned about her husband being there in her country and her home and her work, um, she was able to pray for Putin and pray pray for not only the people she loved, but for the others, so for both sides. And that's what we're always looking for with, uh, with our metta practice. So I love, I love that, that connection. We're not, we don't have a, a lock on anything. So <clears throat> let's, let's sit for at least five minutes just to begin the day or whatever time of day it is for you. And I think if we just sit, if you allow your body to be calm, 
and let your mind be, let your mind just be, feel spaciousness in your mind. We have things to practice now based on what we just read. Just be aware of yourself and the things that cause you suffering. Is it because of it is is it because you're identifying with that that thing, that title that we we give ourselves for moment and it changes, but have we held on too tightly? Where in our lives have we begun to have that craving? And instead of stopping it right there and just drop trying to let it go, we have begun we have begun to cling and have created that attachment. We, you can practice that for the next few days. And right now just be with the breath. May each one of us be well and happy and at peace. May we care for ourselves. May we be free from the suffering of dukkha and the causes of dukkha. Now we know it's from the craving becomes attachment. May our loved ones be well and content and safe and free from dukkha and the causes of dukkha. And may our enemies And let's think in terms of enemies today, because we know it's time for us to be able to deal with enemies. May our enemies be well, and may they be able to develop a feeling of safety in the world May they develop wisdom and the ability to see the truth of the world. May they have deeper understanding of themselves and the world. May they let go of their own attachment to an identity that can create chaos and havoc and war in this world. And may all living beings in this world and beyond 
be well, be able to be content and even happy, true happiness. May they feel safe in the world. May they be able to free themselves from suffering and the causes of suffering. Now as we end, may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but also be done for the benefit of all living beings everywhere. So thank you. Thank you for being here, and I'll see you Thursday.